Tuameva mata cha pita tuameva Tuameva bandhu cha sakha tuameva Tuameva vidyadra vinam tuameva Tuameva sarvam mamoteva deva Everything is God. God is everything. God is in you. I bow to that God in you. I want you to bow to that God in you too. You know, I've been reading this book, Conversations with Yogananda, my great guru. And I didn't want the book to just be pious maxims. There were fascinating things that he said sometimes. And I, I've wanted to share some of those things with you, and I hope you aren't too startled. I mean, I've talked about the yugas and so on, and uh, well, I've asked you to keep an open mind, because I know that what some of the things that my guru and his guru taught are not the orthodox, but personally, I believe in them completely, and I see that the facts support what I believe and what he stated. Let me go on with another few rather strange episodes. Yes, they're strange, but Heaven's sake, a book like this needs a little bit of variety to be interesting, and frankly, I think this book is absolutely fascinating. I once asked the Master, Sir, as we progress into the higher yugas, or ages, will the people now on earth continue to be reborn here? No, he replied. I've stated before that there are many populated planets in the universe. When a soul returns from the astral world to the material plane, there are many planets available to it. Where it reincarnates depends on its own level of spiritual development. He added wryly, if they always returned here, they might find out too soon. That last comment must seem strange to anyone who imagines God as eager for man to be redeemed. And man thinks, how could he not want that if he loves us? In this perception, too, however, man's perception of the cosmic verities needs expansion. The truth is, the cosmos was designed by God. His plan was for us not to find out too soon. That is, realize our need to return to our source in God until we decide to do so of our own free will. Many incentives are given to us outwardly to inspire us to seek a higher reality. There are nature's countless beauties. There's the amazing adaptability and pre precision evident in the natural order, the signs of a mighty, guiding intelligence. And there are inspiring qualities in human nature which sensitive people, as they become aware of them, want to develop in themselves. On the negative side, the incentives are suffering and the repeated disappointment of worldly hopes. The ignoble qualities in human nature also cause anyone of refinement to repudiate such qualities in himself as base and ugly and to aspire to the spiritual heights within. There are, of course, many incentives for continuing to play in delusion. The divine spark within man must be kindled by his own personal longing for the truth and not by mind-numbing proofs of God's existence. 
The Lord wants each individual to desire him alone. Salvation is not served on a silver platter by smiling angels. Each person must strive by arduous effort to become worthy of it. The self-sacrifice demanded of those who seek truth is perceived at last as being no sacrifice at all, but the eternal fulfillment of perfect bliss. First, however, one must accept joyfully that nothing anywhere in this world exists that is worth the seeking. The thought that this world can ever be perfected is finally one of man's greatest delusions. What this world is simply is a school through which the soul passes on its upward evolution. As in any school, one can also flunk out of it and move downward for lower education elsewhere in order to become better grounded in what life is really all about. Perfection is, in other words, an ideal to be sought for the benefit of the students, not of the school. Were this school, our earth, to complete its educative purpose by means at present unimaginable, it would mean simply that souls still in need of its instruction would have to be enrolled elsewhere. No outward improvement will ever guarantee a corresponding improvement of the individual. Ultimately, man's betterment depends always on his own recognition of his need for it. And then another very interesting one. Of India's riches in a higher age, the, one, the master once told me, in those days people used to eat off golden plates, then cast them into the Ganges. Such was their wealth. And such is the rise and fall of civilizations. Never be attached, he then said, to the passing scenes of life. You know, it's very interesting. When Marco Polo came here in the 1200s sometime, he went first to China, then to India. In his travels, I read that he said that the, India is the wealthiest country in the world, even then. It wasn't long afterward that England came in. India became poor, England became rich. Uh, one suspects a cause-effect relationship, doesn't one? But India has not been poor always. India has been very wealthy in the past. It will be wealthy again in the future. The marvelous thing about India is this, that in the disintegrating uh, history where all the ancient civilizations have failed, India somehow has managed to preserve its basic values intact. India has not changed. India still has its Sanatana Dharma. Yes, it's been corrupted. It's been it's sort of like, as I've said before, a bit like a tree that needs pruning. But the basic truths, this is what the great masters of our time have come to bring back. My guru's purpose in being sent to the West was to show how not only Kriya Yoga is a science which can help you to find enlightenment, but how to bring this Kriya practice, how to make it effective <coughs> in daily life, how to objectify it, so that the principles that you learn being centered in yourself, you can apply in business, in home, in human relations, in everything. Everything begins with your own center. 
Kriya Yoga has that wonderful capacity to bring you to your center. And the goal of it, as the goal of all religions, if only people in religions understood it, is to raise that energy through the spine and bring it here and finally up here into union with the infinite. This is yoga. This is union. But the other side of it is that that same centeredness we ought to learn to apply to the world outside ourselves. I've talked about the music that I've written. This is how I wrote that music. I've always, before writing a song, I thought, now what is this song supposed to say? I tried to tune into it from my center to the center of that song. And then when I really know, when it's very clear, that I say, God, give me that melody. Give me those words. You know, Often they come just like that. I've written as many as 31 melodies in one day. Not me, I don't do it. But you know, when you follow this principle, and this is what I'm trying to get across to you, that there are certain truths of your being, which if you can learn to practice, you can bring these things into your outward life and make this life also a heaven on earth. Not to create heaven in the world, it will never be. But you can be in heaven wherever you are. That can be and must be. So in a way, you can say that that too was Yoganandaji's mission in going to the West. First, Babaji Maharaj brought this great teaching down through Lahiri Mahasaya into Benares, where householders even would go into seclusion, into silence, spend many hours at night meditating, withdrawing. And then when my guru's mission came, it was the same line of gurus, the same teaching. But they wanted to show how this teaching could be made practical also. That was his mission. And he brought this teaching out and made it practical. So in these, these uh, teachings, we always try to understand how can we apply what we learn in our daily life. The wealth that was India's at one time, it will come back. But don't think it'll stay. The world will go up and down and up and down. More people escape the cycle in Satya Yuga than in Kali Yuga. But those people who are here now won't be here in Satya Yuga unless they develop Satic consciousness. So don't expect to be done for you. You will have to do it yourself. You've got to find out for yourself what the secrets of life are. And those are not going to be given to you through miracles. People often think, well, why don't the saints perform miracles? I could show you miracles. I don't say I could show you. I could tell you I'm not a, I'm not a great master. I'm a disciple of a great master, and I have seen great wonders. And, well, there's a fascinating story one time. There was one highly advanced disciple. These things are not normally shown to people. But this was a highly advanced disciple, and he was visiting our Guruji in Encinitas. And a simple little thing, but our Guruji wanted him to, he invited him to go out driving with him. And the word came that he was ready to go out. And uh, this man, his name was Mr. Black, or Yogacharya Oliver, as my Guru used to call him. He looked out because the message came that my that our guru was already on his way to the car, and he looked out, and the, it was raining cats and dogs, as we say in America, just heavy, heavy downpour of rain. 
And he thought, well, okay, if he wants me to go out. And so between his room and the front door, it could not have taken more than 15 seconds. He came to the front door. He went out of doors. He looked around. He couldn't believe his eyes. Blue sky, dry car, dry ground, everything completely dry. It had been raining heavily all that morning. Everything completely dry, and they looked like this. And he looked at our Guruji, and Guruji, with a quiet smile, said, For you, Oliver. But you know they can do these things. Why don't they, then? Because we've got to find out ourselves. If God and the Masters and all those people clobbered us with miracles, well, everybody would believe. But they don't want it to be that way. They want us, by our own discrimination, to discover that this world isn't working for me, I need something more. And it's by the aches and pains and the, the, the disappointments of life, the suffering, yes. It's by that that we finally become goaded until we say, okay, okay. And I remember when I first came to my guru, I, my suffering was spiritual. It was because of my doubts. I just couldn't see that this world made any sense. But you know, that's the most intense kind of suffering of all. When I came to him, I was desperate. I remember when I, I said, I want to be your disciple, and he was asking me a few questions. In my mind, I was saying, I know you know what I'm thinking. You have to accept me. Well, thank God he did. He knew that I was desperate. But you know, that's why I'm so eager to help other people. Because I want to help people who have suffered doubts and confusion. I want them to know that behind all this, this turmoil of this world, there is beauty. There is harmony. There is truth. And this is what our Guruji came to bring to the West and to the world. When he said that he came to bring original Christianity and original yoga of, of Sri Krishna, he was saying the original truth, which is eternal, Sanatan Dharma, there's no change in that. But it gets changed and people begin to throw in dogmas and definitions and all these different kinds of samadhi and so on. I was talking a few weeks ago, a few days ago, whatever, this uh, pundit who was talking of sampanyata samadhi and all sampanyata samadhi, and he didn't know what samadhi was, for God's sake. He hadn't meditated. He was all intellectual. There's just too much of that. Too much of people giving lectures and reading their talks and thinking it through and arguing all these little subtle points and thinking they're very clever because they've managed to penetrate some little argument. Ridiculous. Love God. Somebody came to my guru one time with a long list of questions, and my guru could see he saw through people immediately. He saw he was just intellectual. It was just curiosity. And after he'd read several of these important to him intellectual questions, my guru said, love God. The man shook his head. He said, well. So he went on to his next question. Love God. You know, well, maybe he doesn't understand. So he went on to his next question, and my guru said, Love God, and got up and walked out of the room. And so this fool, for years afterwards, has always said, Well, the masters also have their little problems. 
They didn't understand that that was the answer. How many times I would find coming to my guru, I'd have lots of questions because I was intellectual by nature. I found that I couldn't ask any of them in his presence. I would feel that love. That was enough. Love is the answer. Peace is the answer. It's a very interesting story, by the way, and I'm going to read that to you. One night, those living near the master's apartment at Mount Washington heard a loud sound of clanking metal. The following morning, they learned the cause of the tumult. At this point, I must back up a space. The master had told some of his disciples that he had lived centuries ago as a military commander in Spain. His divinely appointed task at that time had been to help liberate that country from the Moors in order to protect the integrity of Christianity. The noise that previous night had been caused by a Spanish soldier who had been under his command at that time. He had materialized in full armor to ask for the master's blessing that he be released. In what way, I have no idea. From what I understand, the master gave him the release he sought. You know, it's so interesting, the play that the gurus have. They, when they're liberated, they come back in many forms because they help to they help to bring religion all over the world back to its own natural state. They don't always live in caves. His role has been a very interesting one. I'll tell you a little bit about it in time. But remember that always the truth that you are seeking is beyond this maya in the infinite. God bless you. is a dream, time like a stream, carries our burdens away. Never despair, joys everywhere, love can befriend you today. Free from all care, like birds on the Soar above griefs and worries, seek joy and be gay. Often on earth, things of great worth, worldly ambitions defy. Sometimes a friend helps us ascend. From life's cares to the sky. Love is a star, though shining afar. It can guide us and help us toward light to draw nigh. Life is a dream, time like a stream carries our
Star though shining. 